Hello everyone, this is Julie Ducre, the host of the Julie Ducre Show, where I share entertainment news, hip-hop news, and more. I got the sauce, and when I got the sauce, you got it too. Megan Thee Stallion's dispute with her label. Let's talk about it. The Houston rapper's career and broader definitions of what constitutes an album hangs in the balance of her dispute with her label 1501 Certified Entertainment. Meg's rise in the past few years has been as rapid as it has been exciting to watch. It hasn't, however, been without incident. During the month of August of 2022, Megan the Stallion demanded $1 million in damages from 1501, the latest in a long line of legal wranglings between the rapper and a Houston-based label. The dispute has gotten pretty ugly, to say the least. Accusations of financial mismanagement have flown from both sides as well as Meg's belief that 1501 attempted to squander the rollout of her new album titled Traumazine by leaking it online. In the middle of it all is question that has dodged hip-hop and music in general. During the streaming era, when is an album an album and not a mixtape? To really understand this, it's best to go back to the start. So let's begin. Who are these 1501 certified entertainment music executives? Known as 1501 in Houston, they are an independent record label founded in 2016 whose CEO will be familiar to MLB fans. His name is Carl Crawford, nicknamed The Perfect Storm. He started the label after retiring from a career that saw him play left field for the Tampa Bay Rays, Boston Red Sox, and Los Angeles Dodgers. 1501 signed Megan the Stallion 2016 with her Tina Snow mixtape being her first project released as part of the deal. At the time of her signing, 1501 was being run day-to-day by operations manager T. Ferris, a former A&R Houston label of Swisher House. Other artists signed to the label include D. Raw, Keona Lisa, and Busset star Erica Banks. Isn't Meg also signed to 300 Entertainment? Yes, she is. In November of 2018, Meg revealed that she had become the first female artist on a roster including Young Thug, YNW Melly, and Gunna. This wasn't the end of her time with 1501, however. With the 300 deal covering distribution only, that means that the New York-based label led by Lior Cohen markets and distributes her music to listeners. That's why both 300 and 1501 are credited on everything Meg does, everything that she has released in the past four years. She has never had any public issue with 300, nor named them in any legal proceedings that we can find. Now, some ask, well, 
Isn't Megan the Stallion also managed by Rock Nation too? Yes, she is. She announced a management deal in September of 2019, sharing a picture alongside the one and only Jay-Z. So let's stop for a moment. Her record label is 1501. 2018, she signs a distribution deal with 300 Entertainment, and then she signs a management deal with Jay-Z's Rock Nation. Hmm. When did the legal issues first arise? Well, in March 2020, Megan sued 1501 Certified and Crawford, claiming they were blocking her, blocking her from releasing music while refusing to renegotiate or terminate a contract she called, quote-unquote, entirely unconscionable. Speaking on Instagram Live at the time, she told her followers, quote, When I signed, I didn't really know what was in my contract. I think I was like 20, unquote. Well, isn't a 20-year-old considered a legal adult? And can she legally use the argument that I didn't know as a legal defense? Because if prior to her signing a record contract at the age of 20 years old, shouldn't she have had an opportunity to hire an entertainment lawyer to review her contract before she signed? Just think about that for a moment. The terms of the deal were flagged by Rock Nation bosses as being unusual, they say, with recording profits split 60-40 in favor, in favor of 1501 rather than the industry standard of 50-50. Since when the industry standard has been 50-50? Hmm. The agreement is also what's referred to as a 360 deal. Think about Jay Prince. Jay Prince, the founder of Rap-A-Lot Records, made his fortune from a 360 deal. Meaning, 1501 gets a cut of income streams outside of recorded music, such as live, live shows and commercial deals. Rock Nation and Megan The Stallion attempted to renegotiate the deal with 1501, who then filed a request to block her from releasing her music. And I'm talking about the trauma zine. This led to the first lawsuit, and on March 2nd, a judge ruled in Megan's favor, issuing a temporary restraining order against the label and allowing Megan to release her Sugar EP. So what happened next? Well, let's talk about it. Megan then filed a second lawsuit against 1501 in August of 2021, claiming the label were preventing her from releasing an official remix of BTS's Butter. Cutting her off from the K-pop group's vast fan base, she claimed at the time would cause her irreparable damages. Megan was again successful and the remix dropped shortly afterwards. So what did Megan have to uh, do to fulfill her contract? As of late 2021, Megan believed she owed 1501 two more studio albums. Now that's what she believed. The first, called Something for the Hotties, was released in October of that year. This is where the definition of an album comes to play. On February 18, 2022, Megan filed a lawsuit 
an attempt to have something legally recognized as an album. So that's her third lawsuit. 1501, Connor sued a month later, stating that it did not meet, that album did not meet their agreed terms for uh, an album. During this back and forth, back and forth, there has been Megan's stated belief that its runtime, 45 minutes and two seconds, makes it an album, while 1501 shared uh, on their Instagram post calling it, quote, a bullshit ass mixtape. Wow. Is there an agreed upon definition of what an album is? Let's talk about it. There is no globally agreed upon definition of what constitutes an album. Craig Averill, a partner at the entertainment law firm of Sterling, Rooks, Hunter, McCoy, Warob, and Averill LLP, tells The Fader. He says, quote, The labels will often insist that the material is recorded in the studio, meaning that they, they're not live tracks. The second point is, quote, newly recorded. For example, if a song features on your first album, you can't also have it on your second album. You also often see an agreement on the number of tracks that will feature on an album and the total running length. This is to avoid the artist trying to get through a commitment in delivering a three-song album, for example, he said. When it comes to a label accepting the masters, there are two phrases commonly used with new artists, quote, technically satisfactory and, quote, commercially satisfactory. The first means, basically, whatever is delivered can be distributed the second is more subjective. If the label believes the project is low quality, it will ask for the work to be re-recorded or altered with a standard for any label. Megan will certainly be hoping so. Yes, she will. Although she released the album earlier uh, that month, noting it's 51 uh, minutes 50 51 minutes, five seconds runtime, a court ruling will decide whether it officially counts towards the agreement she signed back in 2018. Should the court rule in the label's favor, Megan will still be on the hook for two more albums. Shortly after the release of Traumazine, Megan and her legal team amended the previous complaint to include both albums. Megan was not initially seeking any financial compensation, but has now started that, if successful. She wants $1 million in unpaid royalties. She also states that she believes 1501 leaked Traumazine early, a claim that the label denies. Now she has to prove that they leaked that album earlier. You can't just make that type of uh, accusation and you cannot prove it. 1501 in return claimed that Megan owes them quote many millions, many millions from revenue streams, including live shows and merchandise in her bid to get to the bottom of the leak. Megan and her legal team filed a suit against 300 parent company. And that's a company owned by liar Cohen. Uh, Warner 
music demanding they hand over documents identifying the source. And that remains to be seen if they are going to produce those documents. Should the court rule in favor of 1501, is there any way out of the deal for Megan? Hmm. If she has one album left, uh, according to Fader, they advise um, that she, well, that she has to suck it up. I really don't like to use the word suck it up, like suck it up and make the album, but that's what a legal attorney Avril said. So if she has to do one more album, she's just going to have to suck it up and make that album. He also says, quote, if the relationship has completely broken down, you could in theory negotiate a termination and buyout. That's what I'm kind of thinking. That's my uh, thought process. Most likely she'll probably have to negotiate a a termination of the contract in in a buyout meaning that she has to buy their interest out. She'll have to pay them. The problem, he says, is that any label with an artist at Megan the Stallion's level will fear a rival signing her and doing better than them with her music. He says, it's much easier if you don't have success. Artists get dropped all the time and get their masters back. Now, when these artists a drop they don't just get their masters back like suddenly it could take about 25 years or more for them to get their masters back because sometimes these label you know they hold on to them thinking that maybe you know one day uh those uh songs and albums may be worth some money especially when that artist could be a hit uh what do they say one hit a one hit wonder um dead uh worth more dead than alive it's only when it gets this high profile that the disputes and litigation begin. So what has Carl Crawford has to say about all this? In a 2020 interview with Billboard magazine, Crawford denied all wrongdoing, of course he does, and claimed the multiple lawsuits were evidence of Rock Nation attempting to force him to the table to negotiate. What do you guys think about that? I mean, Rock Nation is pretty powerful and that seems plausible, right? Crawford has also accused T. Ferris of being the one who's responsible for laying out the initial contract. Now, keep in mind, he didn't have any experience, you know, running a, a, a label. But ignorance, is ignorance really a defense? So he accuses T. Ferris of being the one who's responsible for laying out the initial contract stating that he was new to the music industry at the time and lacked understanding as he traditionally uh, transition away from his baseball career. I don't think that's a strong defense. Just my opinion, based upon my experience in the legal field since 1998. Is it common for these disputes to go to court? Uh, attorney uh, Avril says no. He says that less than one percent of artist label disputes reach court because sometimes they are, they're able to reach an amicable uh, settlement. In my opinion, he says, "quote." Most times both sides work it out. Artists have the choice of either honoring the contract or negotiating to get their masters back and paying an override. It just means that they'll pay uh, whatever the label wants to uh, release the masters to the artist plus uh, an override. Plus, you know, an additional percentage. 
Are deals based around albums outdated in a streaming era where the line between an album and a mixtape is blurry? He says, quote, I have clients who work, who have been able to negotiate down from three minutes a song down to two and a half, unquote. Adding that modern era is changing the makeup of artist contracts. He also says, quote, some artists just don't release albums. Uh, this is really, in my opinion, the uh, age of the uh, mix uh mixtape era in the EPs. He says, instead of doing albums as the basis of a contract period, I'm seeing artists who are more single or EP driven negotiating a series of 10 masters in mutually agreed formats. That's bog standard for electronic artists, for example, he says. Otherwise, you have artists who get stuck in deals because they just don't make albums anymore, unquote. So what's next for Meg the Stallion? Well, an in-person deposition uh, is scheduled for mid-October with the case expected to run until 2023. You can check all of this out by going to thefader.com. The Fader also states that uh, they've reached out to representatives for Megan V. Stallion and 1501 Certified Entertainment for comment. So what say you? Megan says she was 20 years old when she signed that contract and she was young and she didn't know any better. Um, Crawford says, you know, after retiring from baseball, he formed that label. He left it up to T. Ferris. He didn't know any better. So whom do you believe? Do you think that Meg is going to prevail 100%? Or do you think there's going to be some time some type of amicable resolution and settled before trial. Chime in. Did you know that you can send me a voicemail and leave your comment through uh, the uh, Spotify app? Check out the Jule, J-U-L-A, Ducre, D-U-C-R-E show on Spotify. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I got the sauce. And when I have the sauce, you got it too. Thank you.